Hello everyone, welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling and, well, you guys know the drill. Sometimes you might see me prancing around like a little tart on stage with that heavy metal band called Lord. If you love a bit of old school heavy metal, you can go over to lord.net.au um, if you like bands such as um, Halloween, Queensryche, Maiden, Judas Priest, a bit of Saxon maybe. I love Saxon anyway. I'm sure there's a little bit of that in there. Um, or even like a new band like uh, or newer band, I should say, like Symphony X. You can go over to lord.net.au. All the social media links are there. You can find us on Spotify as well. All that sort of stuff over there. So go and check it out. In addition to playing in a band, I also host the Cell Starter podcast because one podcast is clearly not enough. So Self Starter is all about small business, self-employment and freelancing. So if that floats your boat, you can go to selfstarter.com.au and check that out. Now, Self Starter has been announced as a finalist for the 2018 Australian Podcast Awards uh, for yours truly being the host of the year for the 2018 Australian Podcast Awards. So I am a finalist. I think there's about six people that are in the finalist uh last uh, stages of the uh, process. So we find out on the 5th of May um, down in Melbourne and having a look when I'm recording this intro, I just need to see when this is actually, it's going to be in a couple of days time by the time this comes out to air. So um, yeah, let's see what happens. So I'm going to go to Melbourne, have a few beers, hopefully not get too drunk and not make a fool of myself. I'll have my wife with me, so she'll keep me in line. So uh, AustralianPodcastAwards.com if you want to get some last minute tickets, if some of you Melbourneites want to come out and have a couple of bevies, um, you can go and check all that out. Or if you're curious about learning more about some of the amazing Australian podcasts that are out there because this whole space of podcasting in Australia is blowing up and I'm so glad I got in early. <laughs> so you can go and check out some of the amazing shows that cover all range of different topics over at australianpodcastawards.com. There's heaps and heaps of stuff there, so go and check it out. Now, before we kick into it, as you guys know and expect, this week's shout outs. Now, each and every week, I thank somebody publicly, put them on record, somebody that supports this podcast, podcast, I should say, if I speak in English. Oh, let me catch my breath uh, in one way or the other. So whether it be a review on uh, Apple pod Podcasts or it could be on Facebook or it could be anywhere on the internet, it could be buying um, an Andy Social t-shirt or one of the USB passes that has the first 100 episodes of the podcast on there. Um, you can shout me a beer via andysocial.net on the PayPal button. Um, there's all sorts of different ways to support the podcast. It could be something really simple, just like really nice messages of encouragement, um, sharing the podcast around to other people, making the community bigger and better each and every week, which a lot of you guys do. So thank you very much. Nonetheless, this week's shout out is for Raymond Ho. He is from Brisbane. He's a big supporter of the podcast. I've seen him tuning in and uh, he's bought an Andy Social t-shirt. And I must say, thank you so much, Raymond, for your support. It means a hell of a lot to me. And every t-shirt sale just goes back, well, some of it goes back into my pocket, but um, pop it. I wonder what a pop it is. Anyway, jeez. <laughs> struggling here today, guys. Um, it does go back into my pocket, but it goes towards paying for all the costs associated with the podcast. But it also, um, I've been pulling money aside to get some more merch done. So if you guys think that there might be something cool that I could make some sweet dosh out of that's, uh, you know, branded Andy Social or something that's loosely tied to it. I mean, let's get creative, folks. Um, then you can <laughs> go and let me know. And, uh, and uh, yeah, every sale actually helps and, and gets reinvested back into the podcast. So it goes a long way and it means a hell of a lot to me. So long story short, thank you very much, Raymond, for your support. Please shoot me a message with your address and I will send something out to you, uh, something surprising of some sort, I will look around the house. I'll, I'll find something that will be um, mildly amusing, no doubt. So please shoot me a message to remind me and I'll get something out to you very shortly. 
Now, before we kick into this week's episode, I must say that this is the last episode over the last four weeks where I've had my very first ever, Larry, very first ever sponsor for the Andy Social Podcast. So after 120 plus episodes of the podcast, I finally have a sponsor and it's only been for four weeks, but for good reason. So this episode and the last three episodes have been brought to you by Designed by Jaden. And Jaden Fai is a freelance artist that's located in Darwin and he does a lot of amazing artwork for bands. Um, he does album artwork, merch, all sorts of stuff. So if you want to check out his artwork and if it floats your boat, you can go to designedbyjaden.com, which is uh, Jaden spelled J A I D E N.com. And uh, you can go and get a, a bit of a taste of what his art's all about. Now, if you're interested in getting a free custom piece of artwork, whether it be, I don't know, like a t shirt design or album artwork, or if you're a business owner, maybe you want it, you know, so a new design for your logo for your business or something like that, um, Jaden's going to offer a free custom piece of artwork for somebody that listens to the Antisocial Podcast. So in order to do so, you need to shoot me a copy of a review of the Antisocial Podcast that you put up somewhere in the depths of the internet. Now, it can be an obvious place like Facebook or on Apple Podcasts or the equivalent podcast player out there, or it can just be anywhere random. Um, it might even be a review that you leave on a on a message board somewhere. And I know I felt really silly and ancient saying a message board, but they do exist. Trust me, they still exist out there. Maybe it's something on Reddit as well. Who knows? So whatever you do, flick me a screenshot of that review. And if you get it to me by Sunday, the 6th of May, which is only a few days time. So hopefully you're listening to this in time. I will pick a winner that gets a free piece of custom artwork from Jaden. So if you're interested, go to designedbyjaden.com and you can go and get a glimpse into what he's all about. And please shoot me a copy of a anti-social review somewhere on the internet. Now, remember, I'm not telling you to leave a positive review. Just leave a review somewhere. Now, hopefully it's positive, but you know, I don't want to coach you into a review. Just leave one somewhere. It all helps nonetheless. It brings attention my way. So designedbyjaden.com. Thank you very much, Jaden, for supporting the podcast and being my first ever sponsor. And if anybody else out there wants to be a sponsor of the podcast, hit me up. Love to hear from you. Now, this week's episode is with Sam Rylett. Now, I'm, I'm probably butchered your last name, Sam. In true Andy Dowling fashion, I can never pronounce a name properly, so let's just be consistent here. But anyway, a lot of you guys will know Sam. Sam was the frontman for Sydney melodic death thrash metal band Demon Pyre. Um, he was also in a previous band called As Silence Breaks, I believe. Um, he's also run his own uh, label back in the day. Um, he was also the host of Hard Noise with CJ from Die Artist Murder that was presented by Hysteria Mag. So uh, Sam's been someone that's been heavily involved in the music industry in Australia for quite a number of years. And many of us, many of us that are in the music industry will know Sam um, and have met him and we've uh, played you know, shows together and all sorts of stuff over the years. And um, Sam made a decision a few months ago where he made a public statement, an announcement to a lot of people and peers and friends in, in the local music community that um, there was a number of things that he had to address in his personal life. And as a result, he made the decision to step away from these things that have been a huge part of his life, being a lot of these different aspects of, of his uh, music career. And, um, you know, you don't see this often, at least from my end. I mean, usually what happens is that, you know, a musician or someone involved in the mu music industry just burns them out to the, to the degree that they just fade away. And then eventually years later you go, Whatever happened to that person? They just disappeared. I don't know what happened. But Sam took a different approach 
And I think it was probably something that helped him get through this transition, but to be able to say, look, guys, I need to step away from all this. I need to let it all go, and I need to focus on other areas of importance in my life. And I'll let Sam get into all that because it's a great, it's a really, really good chat, but I'm, I just, I really look up to him with this decision that he made, and he's already somebody that's so proactive. Um, he's a real thinker, and that sounds so silly, a real thinker, like he uses his brain, but um, he's somebody that's highly intelligent. Um, he's always questioning things, and um, as you will see in this conversation, we go off on a million different tangents. Basically, basically, we got two really chatty guys together and we just talked shit for about almost two hours. So this is really, really cool. I had a lot of fun t- catching up with Sam and having a chat. And I really hope that you guys are able to sit down, get a drink um, and just relax and, and listen in as well and hopefully get a lot out of this conversation. So I'll have everything that we discussed, all the little references and names and links and stuff that he's done in the past. I'll put a bunch of video clips up and links to uh, the podcast as well that he was a part of. Everything will be over at andysocial.net. So you can jump over there, check it out as always. And uh, yeah, I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode with Sam Rylett, formerly of Demon Pyre, Hard Noise, As Science Breaks, everything and anything to do with the Australian metal scene and much more. Please enjoy. Thanks. I've just started recording, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would have had, there would have been a certain extra element of quality that was expected underpinning underneath hysteria. Like we Are we starting this now? Or are we? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a little bit. <laughs> Um, I'll clean up later. I'll yeah, work out whether we want to keep stuff right, in or not. Yeah. Sorry, let go. Yeah. No, well, I mean, doing the podcast for Hysteria, you would have had a, an additional set of expectations as far, as far as quality. I mean, did you guys have that sort of freedom? Yeah. I mean, obviously, when it started, we we had an idea about what we wanted to sound like, what we wanted to, to do. Um, and then, of course, because it was under the Hysteria banner, yeah. there was a um, an expectation of, of the certain... You know, elements of quality, you yeah, know, sonically, and we need to make sure that it sounded okay. And it did take, given that I didn't have a lot of experience with um, podcasting specifically, I didn't have uh, an awareness of how to get everything right. So the first few episodes, I was really just tweaking and trying to get it right. And uh, and Joey, the owner of the company, was just he he really wanted to make sure that the quality was there. You know, mm. that it was on par with something that you would hear Triple J produce or, yep. or someone like that. And so yeah, it took a little while to get used to it. And then again, we tried different tools. And I started, you know, with a, a condenser mic that was way too touchy. And then of course we went down the path of getting the road gear, and that became very useful because it was designed for the purpose rather than trying to jerry rig things. Was it a, was it a case of after those first couple of episodes getting some some constructive feedback and then <laughs> yeah, having to yeah. digest that and go, <laughs> yeah. oh, geez. Because it would have been, I mean, you you come from, you know, this music background, especially being sort of doing front men sort of roles in bands. So you're used to being in front of people and having a mic in your face, mm. but podcasting is like another dynamic altogether. So you really, there's an yeah, element yeah. of vulnerability to it. That a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And particularly like, because the first few episodes, um, CJ and I were just literally just sitting in my office, you know, yeah. and, uh, talking face to face, you know, like mates and, um, which, became, which came easy because he and I have known each other for a long time and grown up in the, yep. the Western Sydney metal scene together. And, and that made it a lot easier, but then, um, the, 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 the logistics of trying to get it all together on a regular basis, cause the show was, you know, need, needed to be weekly. Mm. We then started to just Skype each other, you know, and then Skype the guests and, and that became like second nature. Cause you'd yep. basically just be sitting in the comfort of your office and, yeah, get a formula. Yeah, exactly. Too. But yeah. that takes, a, as you would know, that takes a while to to get a flow and and 
as the show progressed, you know, we started to figure out, you know, um, a weekly brief, you know, so we yep. knew exactly what we were going to cover. Yep. What started as a podcast then became a radio show. Yep. So, of course, then the, the format had to change to, so, to suit the fact that there was going to be music programmed in. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was, again, lots of trial and error from two people that just didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I, I just compare with me getting started with my podcast. I mean, the first ever episode that I put out was more or less me just trying to explain what the hell I'm trying to do, which I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. I was trying to work it out like as I was talking and I went through and tried to get rid of as many ums as possible through that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I became so overly critical of all of my verbal tics, everything. And I just, and I went through so much mental pain just to try and get that first episode out there. And I made sure I waited until I got two or three episodes and I put them out at the same time. But um, it was such a, such a vulnerable period to go through, to go, you know, I'm putting something out there and labeling myself now as some form of podcaster mm. and, uh, people should listen to me. Why? <laughs> and so I'm thinking of all these things while I'm trying to explain something that I don't even know what I'm explaining. And it was just such a hard thing to go through. Yeah. And it wasn't until several episodes in, although it was still pretty clunky and I still have my clunky moments now, um, you know, it was only a few episodes in when I started to find a bit of stride and, and a little bit of confidence and go, who, who cares? Yeah, like, I think the, the, the conversational element of a podcast is what makes a podcast unique. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we often struggle with as, as a team was trying to figure out how to get that flow right. Mm. Um, and, you know, because I, I was always of the opinion that the, the podcast um, is – popular because it's just like listening to a couple of people speak and yep, yep. what do people enjoy people enjoy just being part of conversation or, or you know or eavesdropping in on yeah, a conversation right. yeah, you know, and that's yeah. essentially what a podcast is but i was the same you know i the show would be you know anything from two to four and a half hours worth of content recorded on a you know on a tuesday evening or whatever um and that would include obviously one or several interviews yep. you know with guests as well as all the show content but then I would spend, you know, on average 12 hours a week, roughly, um, getting the show ready. And yeah. I mean, that includes obviously recording and interviews mm. and whatever else and responding to emails and, and the like. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It was, it was literally a part-time job on top of Everything all else. the other stuff that I had in my life. So it was, yeah. And I did the same. Going through, filtering out ums and pops and strange noises. And then, as you said, you kind of, you, you start to let some of those things slide for yep. the sake of it sounding like a conversation as mm. opposed to like a, you know, a recorded speech. It's, did you get to a point? I mean, obviously, as you said, you, you went from sort of mates having a chat and then you realized that this was sort of changing into a bit more of a radio mm. show format. Um, was, was that liberating in a way because you had some structure and, and, a, and a formula or was it sort of having a formula? Yeah. Like having a, like having the brief, um, as a, as a protocol was yeah. good because it, it allowed it CJ and I to keep on track. Um, and obviously too, with the show, I often had to do it, um, with guests. Yep. Um, CJ's, you know, touring life is mm. huge. And so sometimes for the sake of keeping the show moving, we'd get in guests. Like I had Adrian, the ex ex vocalist from North Lane, he yep. came in and guest hosted. Um, uh, Nikki from Pagan, she came in and guest hosted. Um, this lovely lady from up in Queensland who does metal yoga, Rebecca, oh, she yeah, guest yeah, hosted. Yeah. You know, a whole bunch of really cool people that that joined me and as as guest hosts. And so uh, that was even more essential that we had a format mm. because they were then relying on me to keep the thing 
you know, moving um, yeah. and steer the ship, so to speak. And so if you had just no one knowing what the, what was going on, it just wouldn't work, you know. So, um, but yeah, I, I, it was it was liberating in a way um, knowing that you could just get in there and get the job done. Um, but then in a sense, it was also a little scary because it meant that the show was getting slightly bigger, mm. you know, and then, of course, doing interviews with people like, Jessica and uh, Pimental, who, which was amazing, and, and then um, Ice T as well, and that was when I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting into the realms here of like fairly important people. I can't stuff this up." There's certain expectations that you create, where yeah. you know, from a listener point of view, that you know the standards or the bar keeps getting raised, yeah. and you sort of go, "Well, even though you might not verbalise it, but subconsciously there's a bare minimum that you expect when you That's right. when you tune in each week and yeah. that, that bar continues to get raised and it's like oh geez this is becoming <laughs> yeah, this is right. not something where we can just like quickly talk shit for for half an hour and slap some stuff together and just get it out there into the stratosphere it's like you know there's there's a bit more methodical and structured process that has to and certain expectations of quality and, and production as well yeah that's right yeah that'd be full on yeah like, it was it yeah. was but it, fun at the same time but um you know it's the amount of time that it was taking is just one of the many reasons why I stepped away from it. You yeah. know, is that I had other responsibilities in my life and, and dedicating on top of a day job, on top of a band, on top of being a father and a husband and everything else. And then having to try and find 12 to 15 hours a week uh, to keep the show running as much as I really, really enjoyed it. It just wasn't sustainable. So yeah, good segue because <laughs> you're a professional podcaster. Um <laughs> So, a couple of months ago now, you made a pretty big call to move away from a lot of this stuff. So, the podcast being one of them, but um, obviously the band as well. Um, I was pretty surprised because, well, I don't know you to the extent of you know, understanding a lot of the stuff that you do outside of those roles that you've, that you've held for so long. But um, to see somebody that's been so heavily involved in the Sydney music scene, the Australian music scene, and, you know, you've worked with labels, you've, you know, you've been part of your own, um, been in bands, had the podcast, heavily involved with with all this kind of stuff, and they're making that call just to say, I've got to step away. Um, the thought of me doing any of those things in my life scares the shit out of me. Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't easy, and it still isn't sometimes. Yeah. Um, but basically... Yeah, I mean, as you say, I've, I'm 34 now, and I've been playing in, in a, I've been in and around the, the music scene, you know, since I was 16 years old. Mm. You know, I mean, and, and taking it seriously since about the age of 19 with my first, you know, sort of proper band with friends, and um, and then of course, yeah, you spend your entire life, I guess, using that personality as what defines you. You know, mm -hmm. you've created this persona, and um, and you feel a sense of protection from that, like that. that I know who I am. This is yep. who I am, um, and then it evolves. Yep. You know, and you know, you become not just uh, you know, a frontman or a musician or instrumentalist, or whatever. You then become, you know, a label owner or a studio manager, or, and as you try and generate revenue in an increasingly difficult industry, um, you take on extra tasks and you get involved in extra parts of the industry because you you think you're going to need that safety net and yep. that time. And that revenue generation that exists outside of the day job. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if it was really hard to wake up in November and go, mm, I have to step away from all this, um, not only because of 
how stretched my brain was, um, but also fit like the, my physical health, you know, mm. I, that's one of the big reasons I, I stepped away from it was that my health has been suffering, you know, dealing with being overweight and, and, you know, a whole bunch of other problems with my back. And I just had surgery, you know, mm. like a couple of weeks ago and, um, to resolve some internal issues. Yeah. Um, and then you couple that with trying to be the best husband and father you can be. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I had a, a, a personal tragedy we went through last year as well as having a, a toddler and now we've got another baby on the way and, so, and uh, of course, a 40-hour-a-week day job that I also have an on-call, you know, component to as well. So it's just like, essentially for me, I, I got to the end of a, a little run that we did um, with the band in November and um, I had looked at that that sort of four days and just at the end of it, my brain just went, nah. <laughs> um And I, at the same time that my brain just went, nah, my brain also reminded me of the things that my doctors had been saying, you know, you got to deal with this, you got to deal with this. You know, if you don't- Everything get, came rushing back. That's right. All the yeah. stuff that you kind of put out of your mind, you just don't deem, deem important. It all just comes rushing back to you. And you say, oh, remember when they said you might be diabetic? You know, remember when they said you've got to lose some weight? Remember when they said, you you know, you want to, if you want to live past 40, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and it just came to a point where I, I just stopped, had to stop making excuses. Because um, really that's what it was. I, I had allowed myself to- stay involved in all these things and open all these doors without closing any mm. um, at, at the cost of my health and sanity and, you know, and, and to be honest and fair, also my family, mm. you know, like it was, you know, the podcast that did have an impact on my family. Yeah. You know, um, the band did have an impact on my family, all these things that I was doing um, because I thought I was making a difference and I thought I, it was important. Uh, they did have negative consequences too. And I think that as you, grow and become older, you've kind of got to learn to listen to those things. And I can finally say at the age of 34 that I have woken up and realized that you, you can open doors, you know, and close and close doors, you know, and I've just spent most of my life just opening all, all these doors. <laughs> well, I mean, when I, when I read it and I was having a chat to you, I mean, that's, that's the big thing that I saw at the time was just, I haven't, I mean, I'm lucky I don't have the additional things such as, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's probably some underlying health issues I just haven't discovered yet, <laughs> but um, I, I don't have that element of, of pressure on me, but I have everything else to certain extents. And I've gone through a similar sort of path where I've grown up with, you know, the the desire and the hunger to be a musician, to work with people in the music industry and that's been my primary driver for everything. That's mm. been my sort of um, the the compass where, you know, you would get a day job, but the day job was always secondary to- yeah, exactly you know, how it was for To me. being in a band, you know, everything, you and you would adjust. You'd find a way because the band was always the most important thing or just being in music or whatever that was. And you had that vision or that identity that you would continuously add things onto as mm. you progressed through this journey. Um, and- the deeper that you get into it, the more I felt this air of desperation around it, thinking that if I ever let go of this, then I would lose, I would lose my identity. Yeah. You know, that's and, really what it, that's really what it, it does feel like yeah. is that you, every human being wants to feel like they're doing something important. Yeah. You know, they want to have a purpose. Mm. And I think as you rightly say, like once you've decided that that purpose is, I'm going to be a musician, there are all these things that come with it. Yeah. Um, 
And unlike other, I guess, careers or, um, you know, or causes or purposes for, for, for living, um, being a musician has so many elements to it that just by default, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by default, it, you will have to let other things slide, mm. um, you know, because like, say, for example, if you if you decided that your your core purpose was to be, you know, um, a police officer, mm. you know, like that's not an easy thing to do. You know, mm. you've got to go off and get, do a degree. You've got to do your training. And um, and then, of course, just being an officer is difficult, you mm. know. Um, but even though it has many facets to it, there is, an, there is a sense of singular focus. Mm. Whereas being a musician, you have all these additional considerations like... I want to do this full time, but there's no more money in the industry. So, of course, then you have to find all these other different ways of generating revenue um, just to keep yourself alive and to, su- to support your family. So, you've got to be not just a creative. You've got to be a businessman. You've got to have an eye on branding and marketing and social media. Very and, DIY. And that's right. Yeah. It, it really is essentially like starting and, and then running your own business. Mm. Um, but on top of that, there is the creative side. Mm. Um, and I must confess that towards the end of, um, being in Demon Pie, I, I was so bogged down in the administrivia, um, of running the band and that's no one's fault. It's just Mm. how it is. Um, you, you do lose some of that passion, you know? And the first thing that I did after, um, choosing to walk away from these things, aside from joining a gym and getting a personal trainer, Mm. um, and trying to, you know, adjust my lifestyle so that I could stay alive for more than the next 10 years was I picked up my acoustic guitar for the first time in like a decade and just like learnt a song. Yeah. Um, and that felt really good mm. to actually be reconnected with um, with music on a creative level. Yeah. Um, which is weird to say that because you, you're, you're in a band. You're playing all the time. You're writing, you know, records and whatever else. And so to feel like you're not actually in, in the creative process, even though you are in the creative process, is odd. Um, well, even, even that reminds me of like when you, you discover an album – and you absolutely fall in love with that album and you play it to death and it gets to a point where you hear the songs and the songs are just going in one ear out the other. Yeah. Like you, you, you know exactly where every little you know, snare hit is, every vocal line, every guitar lick, everything like that. You understand it. It's just part, it's ingrained in your mind. And then for whatever reason, another album comes along, you get distracted, you listen to that, you become obsessed with a different band or a different album. And then years pass and then eventually you go back to that album yeah. and you listen to it and it just, it's completely fresh. And you go, oh my god! Like I can't believe that I was listening to that album for so long and not getting it to the level that I'm getting it now. It's sort of like the absence, you know, grow, makes the heart grow fonder. You know, yeah, that's and, exactly what it is. Yeah. And um, getting so swamped into something, into the process, and that monotonous sort of existence of you know, especially being you know, working in the music industry where it's a lot, a lot of DIY, and you have to spread yourself thin, yeah. and you have to stretch yourself. That you do remove yourself from the the essence of what a lot of a lot of it's all about and it's that's that's that creativity part of it it's also um for, for me one of the big lessons that i've learned um in the last few months uh or that has i guess become mo- more apparent in the last few months is that you you don't want to do things badly mm. um you know if you are stretched so thin uh because you have you're, you have interests or responsibilities in so many different areas just by def, def, by definition, you're just not going to do anything well. Yeah. Um. And that is what worried me as well. Like mm. aside from, as I said, you know, health and sanity, I was worried that I that that I was doing all this stuff, 
but none of it was being done well. Mm. You know, you're just you're doing 20% yep. rather than excelling at anything. Um, and that started to worry me. I'm like, I don't want to do crap quality stuff, you know? <laughs> and one of the most refreshing things having a, a moment like that where you go, oh, okay, I just have to step away from things for a while is to go, now I can do like one or two things really, really well. Yep. Um, and for me at the moment, like that as best I possibly can, that's doing my day job as well as I can, being a father as well as I can, being a husband as well as I can. Um, and then things like, you know, I, I've never been good at exercise, yep. you know, but now I can get up in the morning and go for a walk before the sun gets up. Oh, I can go to the gym. Man, uh, man that's, that's, <laughs> that's been huge. Like, yeah having the brain space and the motivation to go, I'm just going to get up and put a podcast on or tunes on and go for a walk for 45 minutes before the day starts, before I even had breakfast, yep. um, is something I've just never, ever done. Yep. And I don't think I could have if my brain was running at the rate it was running. Um, and again, you know, parts, it's, it's partly being spurred on by the dangers of not dealing with health problems getting as well. Getting pushed to critical mass. That's right. You yeah. know, and then, you know, having a trainer that's like, telling you you need to just focus on not setting goals, just make it part of your life. Yeah. And I thought that was actually something I thought was actually really interesting about approaching health in general mm. was just don't set goals. Yeah. Just not- just make it something that you do every day. Yeah, it's ingrained. And there will be no end point, yeah. which is way healthier you know, rather than just going, I want to lose 10 kilos. That's it. And then um, what? And then what? It's yeah. like, okay, well, now I can slack off. No, yeah. you just it should be I'm going to shift my entire system of thinking so that when I get up, I just get my shoes on and I walk out the door. Which means, it's, I, a, which means it's a long term and it's a gradual that, thing. It, becomes a, a, but it, it literally becomes, becomes ingrained into your, into your life rather than effective. it being something that you can let slip later. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's the reality is I can't let it slip. Yeah. You're probably really fortunate if you're looking at it from a silver lining point of view that you got forced into this critical mass situation (laughs) that you were forced to make those decisions. But I mean, did you have, I mean, before you got to that point, if these thoughts ever came through your head, you know, and just sort of blew by and and quickly forgotten about, did you have that element of panic about letting go of things and then missing out on opportunities? Like, especially from a music point of view and obviously being involved with the podcast and the success that that also had. Cause I always freak out and go, if I miss something, um, especially now with like how quick and instantaneous information is and getting people's attention and all that kind of stuff that if I'm, if I'm away for, a few days or a few weeks or a few months, then potentially I, I'll go back to square square one. Yeah, that was, to be honest, that was actually one of the most um, cathartic things was realizing I didn't have to care about that anymore. Yeah. Um, even social media, for example, you know, it was um, something my wife would lament all the time. It's just, I was constantly on my phone. Um, <laughs> to just... get your wife and my wife to talk. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> far and out. she's right. I mean, like it was, yeah. you know... Like, an awakening moment for me was realizing that even after I, and this is, I mean, social media, I think is a really amazing tool, Mm -hmm. right? But I also see it as something that's as much as it's doing good, it's doing harm. Yeah. Um, Which is odd because of course we're talking about this on platforms that will share across social media and whatever else. And I realize the irony, but um, I, even after having left the podcast and left the band, found myself a few weeks ago saying to myself, okay, cool. You've got some time. You're going to play some Xbox. You're going to read a book, Yeah. you know, daughter's in bed, wife's asleep, just have some you time, you yeah. know, the stuff that you never had. Right. Yeah. Um, and 
two hours went by and I literally, all I'd done is flick my thumb scrolling, scrolling yeah. through social media feeds and yeah, man. literally yeah. wasted two hours of my life just flicking through what can't, what's not, it's not even news, you know, it's no. mostly just people's opinions and, you know, checking in at airports and checking and in, it's right. And <laughs> I, I just don't need to know that. Um, and again, so even after having left all this stuff, I'm still learning lessons yeah. like I've turned the notifications off of oh, yeah, Facebook, man. you know, yeah. I've set some restrictions. I mean, I even come to the point where I'm like, do I even need this stuff in my life? Cause yeah. you know, like this morning before you came over, I got up at early, went for a motorbike ride and just pulled over on the side of the road and just stared at the bush for like 20 minutes. Yep. And none of that needed social media. None of that was, you know, I mean, I couldn't help take a photo cause my bike's pretty hot, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, just being in the moment is yeah. so much more useful. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like you do fear that you're going to miss the next headline. You're going to miss, you know, the next opportunity. And that's the thing. It's the funny thing is, it's that, I mean, that ridiculous, you know, FOMO or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Fear. It's, it is real, you know, mm. no matter, no matter what part of your life, you know, is important to you, you do fear missing elements of it. And, yeah. you know, with the band I did, it was like, I, I, constantly was like, oh, we're going to miss out on this opportunity or you know, miss out on this email or miss out on this, you know, whatever the case may be, you miss out on this show, whatever. Um, and it was the same with the, the podcast. Like it got to the point where um, I felt like I needed to know what was going on in the world all the time in every facet of every industry of every, and it's just like my brain doesn't have enough processing power for yeah. that. No one's does. Um, that's it and the people that are at that level or higher have got a team of people that's, that's right they've got assistants that's it yeah, that's yeah. Right. they're being they're being you got fed. researchers you got everyone out there <laughs> trawling yeah. the information and doing all that hard work and then you present it because you're the you're the face and and you that's learn right. you learn the filtered information which is less but that's exactly yeah. right but you're not doing the 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 groundwork but i think uh, like what we we're saying earlier it is very much like being an owner operator you yeah. know or an entrepreneur and that's yeah. the thing it's not exclusive to musicians or um, you know, podcasters or radio show hosts or whatever, you're in that independent space mm. trying to break through and turn it into a full-time career. Um, because anybody that's, that builds something from the ground up, I think they're facing that same kind of challenge. Yeah. You know, may, maybe not across the number of different facets that say, you know, the creative arts yep. are, for yep. example. Um, you know, if you're a, a, I don't know, a plumber or something, you've got to know your craft and yeah. you've probably got to run the business or your partner might run the business yep. or whatever, but you generally can focus on your core function. Mm. But the challenge of, of running something from scratch, you know, building it up and running it is still difficult yeah, no matter what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it's still hard. Did you have a few like mental breakdowns when she actually made <laughs> that decision and suddenly, not that life has slowed down, but it obviously elements of it have slowed down where you've got more focus on more important things or you're prioritizing. But did you, are there certain times where there's uh, just a little bit of extra idle time where you go, oh my God, like. No, I'll no. be honest. No, because yeah. I've, and th there's a reason for that. I've never been one of those people that gets bored. Yeah. Um, like I don't understand boredom. Mm. So f to be brutally honest, there hasn't been those moments. There's been moments where I've been like, oh, I miss playing the shows yeah. uh, or I miss being a part of the writing or whatever, mm. or, you know, um, particularly with Doom Empire, like the guys are such good people and mm. the music is such good music. Mm. Um, there are definitely times where I'm just like, damn it, you know, what yeah. have I done or whatever. Um, but the catharsis that came with just shedding all this stuff so that I could be 
a better dad, yeah. you know, and be a healthier person and, uh, you know, a better husband and whatever else. Like that, that to, it was immediate. Mm. Like the moment I, I made that decision, um, and I think most people, like if you ask anybody that's ever left a, a, a thing that they were so deeply connected mm. to, um, the first thing they'll tell you is that they know it's right because the moment it's done, it just feels like the weight's lifted off yeah, their shoulders. Yeah. And that sounds pretty cliche, but it's true. Mm. Like the moment you've done it, you, you go, okay, life is now instantly better. Mm. Um, even though these things are so important to me, life is just instantly better. Yeah. Um, and that's how it was. Like as there are times when I'm just like, oh, I, miss, I miss it, you know? Mm. Uh, and same with the show. Like I, I love dialogue. I love conversation. Mm. You know, I love being a part of talking about what makes human beings unique and interesting and special. And I've had this burning desire to kind of drag people to the center of things for such a long time that, you know, I tried to use the podcast and radio show as, as my way of doing that. Mm. So again, I equally miss that, you know? Um, and I, I, I think I used both of the platforms as a way of trying to foster conversation and, and get people to talk about stuff. And um, so I do miss that. And I think that, you know, years from now when I'm, I guess, more balanced as an individual and my family's more established and my kids are older, um, I'm fairly certain there's no way that I'll be able to keep away from yeah. music and or, you know, podcasting or some kind of social commentary because I just enjoy it too much. Well, I think, I mean, that was one thing I was going to bring up because I think one of the last things that you, you've written on this post about just letting everyone know what you're, what you're going to do, this big decision that you've made, and I think... you. So I can't remember exactly word for word, but it was something along the lines of, I'm sure this won't be the last, the last, the last things that I'm involved with. I'm sure I'll be back or I'll have things that I'll be involved with in the future. And I mean, it's very, there's nothing hidden in that. It's, it is what it is. But when you read it and you go, wow, that is true. And we don't think about it a lot is that you can take a break. You can decide to go down a different path. And the decisions that you make in these pivotal, pivotal moments where you sort of go, which road do I take? That road can then change and you can come back in another in another direction. And so for you, like you know, the priority shift, there's critical things that you need to address and, and deal with and, and work on and improve with certain aspects of your life. And you do that and that's a chapter yeah. and it's a section of time. And that might be depending on what those things are for individuals. It could be a six-month thing. It could be a 12-month thing. It could be a six-year thing. It could be a 20-year thing or whatever it is, but there's always that opportunity to come back mm. or to approach it from another angle altogether down the track. Like, yeah. it's not just, this is a decision and, oh, my God, now my life's <laughs> completely yeah, changed that's, permanently that's, for good. That's exactly right. And I think yeah. that that's, that was an equally important lesson for me to learn, yeah. right? Because, you know, this isn't the first band I've been in or the first, you know, musical project of yeah. uh, that I've been attached to or whatever else. And um, still learning you know yeah, as you yeah. go still learning that you you don't have to um stay in things to the bitter end mm. you know people aren't going to think less of you because you walked away from something mm. um which is hard because if you've if you're if you're motivated you know and if you're um dri if you're a driven you know p possibly in my case you know arrogantly driven yeah. um towards goals you there is a sense of failure if you step away from something. Yeah. You know, you feel like you're saying to the world, this thing that I told you was really important 
you know, that I was deeply connected to, it's not anymore. I'm yeah, stepping away from it. I was it. full of shit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in reality, it's like, you, as you say, you're just reprioritizing. And, yeah. um, you know, if a, if a husband and a father can't focus on his family and his health, like, or can't bring himself to accept that those things are important, then he's probably got more pro- more important problems to worry about, right? Uh, so Absolutely. And, and it also, like, I mean... I, I just I try and put parallels with my life and the things that I've been going through in a lot of moments where I've sat there and gone, oh wow, like I don't know whether what I've been doing for the last 10, 15 odd years is is what I should still be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, those moments where I've been forced to think like that have usually been from things that are a little bit sort of a little short bursts of um, uncomfortable situations where it's it's never actually a big issue that's forcing me to make a decision. But um, I just sort of. I think for me, the biggest comfort that I have is that whatever decision I make, I'm making it and I make it for whatever reason is for me and the people that are in my inner circle that I care about the most. And, you know, if I make a decision that, you know, this podcast or the band or anything like that is not the priority anymore, I can walk away and I can give myself the reassurance that I can come back to it at any stage. But I can also give myself the reassurance that I don't even have to fucking come back. Having the self-awareness is the most important thing, right? Like that's, and that, I think that was the thing that dawned on me was that, you know, I like to think of myself as being pretty self-aware, but Mm. then you realize that you've spent a decade doing something um, and it may have been good for you, but it also may have been bad for you in in some respects. And as you say, being self-aware enough to, step away from it and address the things that you've got to address, um, knowing that you could come back to it or you could never come back to it. I think like that is liberating too, yeah. you know, knowing that you've kind of learned a lesson. Because no matter <laughs> what, what the decision is going to be at whatever time, you're doing it for the right reasons. And it doesn't matter what that is. Like it's very silly things for me. Like I started getting rid of a lot of my music collection, just stuff that I, I bought things just to fill the gap in that, that chronological order of a band's career and the shit album, but I bought it anyway. And I probably bought three versions of that album, (laughs) you know, just became overly obsessed with this stuff. And it was fantastic for a long period of time there. But then I realized I had to shed some of this, some of this weight in my collection. Mm. But then I told myself that I could, you know, if I find a a drive or an urge to later on to go back and hunt for these things again, then that will be fun and I'll do it. And, but at the same time, like, I've told myself that I may never want to either, so and that's an, okay. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing you bring up because I'm doing similar kind of thing in my life. From going, and again, it's probably because of you know, the time. You yeah, know, the timing's probably not that unusual. But um, I'm going through this major, just like house clean up, and you know, just <laughs> shedding every piece of junk or unnecessary crap that you know that we have yeah. in, in our home. Um, and I think it's very much aligned to this idea that you know you're going to shed all the stuff that's tying you down. Um, and it's funny because so much of technology um, is, particularly in that respect, yeah. is viewed through the lens of um, negativity. You know, mm. we look at technology and we go, oh, it's making us more divided. It's making us more busy and more overstimulated. Mm. But then on the flip side, like you were able to declutter your life because of technology. Yeah. Like you probably stream all your music yeah, now. Absolutely. Or, you know, yeah. you have digital copies of them, whatever else. So... Like, it's funny, I, I do like to look at situations like that and go, okay, well, there is a positive element here. You can you can be at one with technology and at one with the peaceful side of the world at the same time. Oh, right? that's it. I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is just finding that, that balance. It's not 
on either extreme and it's that it's that dead center it's, it's trying to find that balance which is extremely hard to do yeah. and achieve but you know for me i yeah from a, from a convenience point of view i looked at it and thought to streamline my life um i automatically anyway and i've been doing it for a decade is every time i bought a cd i would digitize it straight away yeah, and then the <laughs> and for me the cds were a trophy that sat on a shelf yeah. and i could look at it and go oh wow man how impressive is is this collection and when a mate comes over like oh wow look at this and then I moved and I bought a house down the coast and then I put everything in, in plastic boxes and c- containers and, and carefully took them down and then I put them in the shed and I just never got around to putting them on a shelf and I just thought, uh, like, why? You start, to, you start to realize, are they in your life because you couldn't be bothered or are they yeah. in your life because they serve a purpose? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I looked from a very practical point of view, but then I started going through these tubs of CDs and stuff that I'd like I'd held like so... Like I cherish them. They're like these little pieces of delicate, you know, these artifacts from my life. And I'd look at a CD and go, I remember buying that CD when I was 16 at, <laughs> you know, this store in Brisbane, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember the person who sold it to me who was a bit of an asshole, but blah, blah, blah. And I've got this story attached to it. And then suddenly I realized that I've held on to these things, not so much for their practicality or their tangible use, but the memories that are attached yeah. to it. But then I rem- remember that that same album, if I'm not looking at the physical CD and I'm talking to somebody in conversation about a Megadeth album or whatever it might be, that I've got the story already there yeah, that's right. and I don't need that thing. And so I was holding on to it out of this desperation that I would lose the memory. Mm. And then I looked around my entire house and I thought, what crap have I accumulated <laughs> where I'm looking at it to make sure that I don't forget something? And I thought, if it's really that important, then I won't forget it. And if I forget it, then I forget it. Like, I don't even know. Like, I've, I've forgotten it. So, who gives a shit? So- yeah. And the funny thing is, if you if you were exercising your memory more on a more regular basis to recall those, you know, those good, yeah. those good times... Um, you wouldn't need the physical, you know, the physical reminders around your home. That's it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's odd me saying that because as we sit here in my office, it's covered in collectibles and memorabilia. But, um, but I think there's elements of that where it's 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 completely fine, and I think it's actually really good to have those things. So this used to be my entire house, and then a combination <laughs> of cutting down and also my wife just saying once and for all, can we get the Harry Potter wands out of the lounge room? <laughs> Like, or can we get the Star Wars, you know, memorabilia out of the lounge room? If you want, just put one picture on the wall, all right? Yeah. Something tasteful. Yeah, something you know? something a little bit more, like, yeah, balanced that uh, yeah. everyone can appreciate. And yeah. can you take it out of the box? Because it looks like you're running a toy shop. That's the, uh, that's <laughs> no, the other thing. That. That's the other thing. So, you'll notice that now I have some collective, some select pieces that are out of their plastic and... Uh, Others that are very much still wrapped in plastic. <laughs> but uh, it's, um, I mean, I, you know, going back, you know, 10 odd years or 15 years and, you know, living in the bachelor pad and having having all your stuff and, and these items that you cherish and this was your identity, this is all part of you. And so when someone came over, um, you know, you would be, it'd almost be like going back to school, show and tell. It's like, check out, <laughs> yeah. check out who I am. This is who I am. It's like people that drive around with bumper stickers on their car. They want everybody else to know, to know that thing about them. what their identity is. I associate with this. This is who I am. And that's great. And people should feel passionate about it. But I think when you become um, a slave to it and you become caged by those things, those items, that's when it gets scary. See, I worry, I worry that's what social media is doing. Yeah. I worry that that's the negative side of yeah. it. Um, and, and for myself included, like mm. you present um, an image to the world and you are constantly having to reinforce it and remind people. Yeah. You know, and whether that be 
signaling your virtue, whether that be, you know, ensuring that people understand that you are for this cause or, you know, that you look a certain way or that, and that's the funny thing. I think most of it does actually link back to, you want to feel that the world knows the good, the good things you stand for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, more than most, more than anything. I think that's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause as you say, like it could be a bumper sticker. If that bumper sticker is a sea shepherd sticker, hmm. there is all of these implications. That's it. You know, yeah. there's, there's all these inferences that come with that about the kind of yeah. person that's in that car. Mm. Um, and we do it knowingly. Um, but it's no different to the clothes we wear or the hair, absolutely you know, the hairstyle Everything. we have or the tattoos or jewelry or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to see that no matter what the tool, you know, whatever, whatever, no matter what the mechanism, we're still the same creatures we've always been. Always, you know, we're still the same peacocks, you know, flashing, you know, always. Our, I'm, our I'm, colors, you know. I'm one of the biggest peacocks out there. <laughs> you like, are I, definitely yeah. <laughs> in my frills and everything. But it's just, um, you know, I mean, and that's that's an ongoing challenge and a and a battle and in a good way i think it's rewarding to sort of have those moments of of self-awareness where you sort of go i don't need to do that yeah. like and if i want to do it then I, I find the right reasons to do it not because i felt a need to portray myself in a certain way to be accepted by a group of people that i might look up to or want to get validation from and then once you start getting rid of a lot of that stuff you there's a lot more freedom to sort of just just calm down and be yourself. <laughs> but I mean, I think you have sort of walked a similar path to me where, you know, because of the the lifestyle that you chose and the different things that you involved yourself with over the years, you know, being a musician and working with music, you know, what you've said a few times is that it's not, you know, you don't get into it for the money. There's not a lot of money there. And people can be really successful and very creative with, um, you know, creating businesses out of out of that but it's 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 really tough yeah and so you've you've held another job that you've held for quite quite a few years and it's it's a it's a corporate job and it's it's a nine to five job and and obviously you've got the on-call aspect as well but i've certainly done that over the years as well have you struggled with this is something i've struggled with having those different identities and you know like quite literally when you are walking into a nine to five job, would you make a conscious effort to not acknowledge the other things in your life and try and separate as much as possible so they don't they don't it's, blend over? It's interesting because uh, I have gone through different phases hmm. um, at, at different companies and in different roles. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I've had everything from people being... Uh, shocked and surprised, but positive about the fact that I'm, you know, I've sung in death metal bands and yeah. you know, done tours and stuff like that around the world. And um, and then on the other end, I've had people come up to me and, and not even know that about me and say, you know, you're not going to sell anything because you've got a beard, <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah. judging simply just, you know, the presence of facial hair. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that's unique to the corporate world. I just think that's unique to just, you know, there's a spectrum of judgment, you know, within the human, human race. Behavior. It's human behavior. That's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's funny with when I when I started doing the um, the makeup and stuff for Demon Pyre. Mm. Um, that I think was probably one of the moments where I was like, you know what, I'm going to totally be just that's that's me yeah. outside of this place. Um, which is one of the reasons why I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed the theatricality um, mm. of having a secondary persona, yep. um, which is odd because at the same time, I also very much owned that persona as me. Mm. Like it was just 
I was just Amplified. a grimy version of me. Yeah. You know, it was just wearing all of my misanthropy on the outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and but when people would ask at work, uh, I wouldn't offer like I wouldn't offer it freely. You know, mm-hmm. the way that I used to when I was younger, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm in a band." Um, yeah, and that's I, like the second sentence. Like, oh, by the way, I'm in a band. That's like, oh, right, thanks you know. for telling me. And, you, and you, <laughs> we were proud of it, but you yeah. were proud of it in a in a in like a youthful ego, yeah, yeah kind of, of way, rather than being proud of the accomplishments and, and the music and the yeah. creative side of what you were doing. Whereas now, as I've gotten older, it was like, yeah, I wouldn't, people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't offer that information. Mm. Um, and again, partly because of protection, like you yeah. don't want to be prejudged yeah. uh, about your capabilities in a new role or whatever. Um, but at the same time, also just because it was exhausting, you yeah. just didn't want to have to explain to every new person that you meet that I'm this person, but I'm also this person and this person and this person. And I wear these different hats for different reasons. Um, uh, and it, so it was fun sometimes, you know, people would go off and they'd d- discover it by accident mm, or, yeah. um, you know, like on a couple of occasions I'd have people say, oh, they, their friend or their brother or sister was into the band or into heavy metal more broadly and yeah. thought that they recognized me from something or whatever. Um, which again, doesn't happen all that often. It wasn't like, you know, uh, what I did was super, super well known, but every once in a while it was, it was yeah. a fun thing to, to have happen. So, um, but yeah, there is a strange, uh, I guess, balance to be struck between, you know, trying to appease the the corporate mentality um, and trying to be just yourself. Yeah. Um, in fact, you reminded me of the conversation that I had um, with Jessica Pimentel yeah. um, on the show, which she has that same issue, you know, mm-hmm. like we talked about that. It's like she's this actress on Netflix and then she's also a death metal vocalist who, you know, is dating the drummer from Meshuggah and plays violin and plays guitar <laughs> and just rocks the shit out of everything she does. Yep. And, you know, it was funny because when I interviewed her, it was in the afternoon at a hotel and she's in like, you know, black jeans and leather jacket and mm. just totally looking the part of the, of the rocker. And she and I were laughing because like that morning she'd had to go and do like Kiss FM and the project and uh, Studio 10 and (laughs) had to wear like a a pink, you know, like what they call pencil skirts. I don't know fashion, but like, like, you know, (laughs) I think I know what you mean. You know what I mean? But she had to like toe that line, you know? And, um, I remember saying to people, what, you know, really irked me about that was like, she is fiercely and proudly death metal. Mm. Um, and I don't know her that well, but her reaction I think to the the way that our mainstream media treated that other side of her life, I think she would have flipped out. Like mm. you know, they played like small sections of her playing bass with like a bullet belt on and stuff like that, and they will laugh yeah. in like a pandering way. And I yeah. think that again is kind of why you, you you as you get older you become a little more protective because you do have this side of you that says I need to earn money, I need to generate yeah. a living, I have to have a career um, that may be you know in the corporate space, and that frequently particularly in australia is at odds with any kind of acceptance of anything creative yeah um and if you need any evidence of that just look at the fact that all of our major newspapers will devote 10 15 pages to the sports um but the arts are nowhere to be found yeah absolutely um and i think that's a cultural thing in australia i've said that before and i'll say that again like i think there are lots and lots of creative artistic people in this country and people that also equally enjoy Mm. the creative arts, but our mainstream media machines for the most part, um, they either disregard it entirely, um, or if it doesn't fit a particular mold, you know, if it's not, 
a particular style or a particular narrative, um, or if it doesn't you know, subscribe to a particular political ideal, then they're just not That's interested. That's it. Not, you know? not interested whatsoever. Um, and moreover, what's worse is that they're patronising. Yeah. You know? Oh, how cute. You know, you're singing a death metal band. Yeah. That's oh, a nice, nice, little, little, so nice little hobby. Yeah, nice little hobby you've got there. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk about the real stuff. Yeah, that's you know, right. It's like, fuck you. That's not at all like <laughs> how it is. Um, and it doesn't matter how many records North Lane or Parkway sell, they're just not listening. Yeah. You know? Um, like, I read an article the other day that, uh, that my mate Youngie posted about how, I think they were saying that Melbourne is like the hub of, you know, ticket sales. Yeah. And it's outselling every sporting event combined with live music. And yeah. it's like, and I posted on his, on it saying, you know, I wonder if the Daily Telegraph will give over their ten, their, you know, their last ten pages to the arts now. Yeah. That's never going to happen. No. no. Um, and what annoys me most about that is that, it, like, sport is just another form of entertainment. Mm. You know, at its core, I mean, there are secondary things yeah. that we get out of sport, like teamwork and leadership and companionship Absolutely, and yeah. health and fitness and whatever else. But at its core, as an industry, it's designed to entertain. Right, that's no different to music. Absolutely. So why is it that we don't balk at the idea of a Canterbury Bulldogs player earning two hundred thousand dollars a year, but then if a if a you know musician goes, hey, can you pay me fifty bucks for the night? Yeah, it, it, that's considered faux pas. Yeah, you know, yeah. When, when in reality they are one and the same. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I, think- I just went down a complete rabbit hole. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah. Look out. <laughs> let's get, let's dig ourselves out of this one. No. But I mean, I you you'd be the same as me. You grow up where. Um, through school, it's very sports dominated. Um, music is like this little optional thing that you know some people might get the opportunity to to dabble in um, as a, like a, a tiny little unit in the, in the grand scheme of things. But sport was always a mandatory thing, and there's definitely benefits of having it mandatory from a fitness point of view and getting yeah, out. Yeah. As you said, leadership, um, teamwork, all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, creatively from a um, an artistic point of view, even just sort of art classes and music was always like this add-on, this extra thing that if you wanted to do it, then you could do it in this limited pe- period of time and that's it. And, you know, getting out of school and for me, like I had this epiphany like at about 14 you know, years old where I discovered Metallica and just went, my life's just changed forever. And, and Justice Rule. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And, and, I, and I sat there and just went, None, no, nothing here is of interest to me anymore. Mm. I checked out, yeah. and much to my poor parents, like they had the cop it, and but I just I couldn't balance life. It was just it was just music. It was it was metal, and it was playing guitar, and it was me wanting to be the next James Hetfield and <laughs> and rocking out in front of a mirror in my bedroom and. But then, yeah, wanting to grow my hair out and, and wear, wear band shirts, yeah, you sink right into it. Yeah, yeah, everything. Like I became obsessed, but I was still going through you know, the latter parts of high school where there was the expectations of, you know, the people that were put up to school captains and of those higher statuses within those grades were people that were heavily involved in sports Mm. and obviously people that were performing really well from an academic point of view also. But anybody, I mean, I, I did... I did music classes, I learned guitar and, and everyone knew that I was, I showed interest in this, but it was never supported. Yeah. And so then I got out of that and that was a real struggle getting out of high school. And then I started to get into the workforce and I, I had long hair and I've, I cut my hair once, I think towards the end of high school, but then just never cut it up since then. Yeah. And so I've constantly gone into work environments and I've been really lucky that I've had a really good sort of career in corporate environments and done really well. But 
just the narrative all the way along is like let's uh, let's point out the most obvious thing being your hair and yeah. let's start there yeah. and let's create a bit of banter. <laughs> and I still got people I work with now that's like, oh, when are you going to cut your hair? And I go, I don't know, when you like <laughs> stop being a fucking cunt? Like, you know, just and but there's these old school stigmas that stick there and oh, they yeah. stick there and you've and I joke and it's not terribly tasteful but I just I'm just waiting for some of these older people just to die off because <laughs> you know I, I think I think the younger people coming through now and there's still a lot of that that's ingrained in your product of your environment but um, I think a lot of businesses now are focusing more on EQ rather than a skill set that's been developed or you know your uh you know your achievements through other other realms of of society um and innovation and creativity are becoming far more valuable and i've only just recently started to blend the worlds together and start not proactively telling people oh by the way i, I do this and this and this but when the conversation sort of naturally goes into a direction where i can throw in the fact that I do a podcast mm. or a couple of podcasts and I've got the band and all this sort of stuff, it actually works in my favor now because I'm demonstrating behaviors that are actually of benefit to the company. Whereas, you know, creativity, innovation, thinking outside the box, um, being ambitious and trying to do things to upskill yourself. There's, there's, there's a, there's self-awareness and personal development and, mm. and they're the qualities that a business or any organization wants. Yeah. yeah you- I, I would agree that definitely, in the last five or so years, I've seen something similar. Yeah. Like the the desire for uh, social and emotional intelligence um, in people in the workforce, I think, is becoming far more yeah. um, obvious. Um, and so in more recent years, I think that's another reason why I've done the same. Mm. You know, you're not afraid to say, hey, I'm multifaceted. Mm. You know, um, I have interests that extend beyond this thing. Mm. Um and I think that as we shift into a different era, like industrial, a different technological and industrial era, yeah. that's going to become more important, right? Mm-hmm. As more jobs uh, are lost to automation, yeah. the, the one thing that AI isn't quite yet able to steal away from us yeah. is our raw human energy yeah. and our raw human creativity yeah. um, and emotion. And that's why I think that skill set, or, or like not a skill set, but that set of characteristics is is becoming more and more important yep. than it was before. It's really valuable. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, But I do worry too that we're going to go too far to the other end. You know, the EQ will be, or, and already is, like the most important thing. Well, that's um, when- that's when Striving for diversity and striving for, you know, all of these targets that we set for ourselves. If we tip the scales too far and the pendulum swings too far, and how many other mixed metaphors can I throw in? Um, <laughs> it will become- the same set of problems just at the other end of the well, scale. Well, then, then you've got a bunch of bullshitters that are running everything. They've got the gift of the gap. <laughs> yeah, nobody gets anything but they, done. they don't know how to everything's, do anything. Everything's conceptual. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I, I say this to my wife all the time. Like, she's point A to point B yeah. and I'm the strategist, yeah. right? She will get things done like no man's business, yeah. right? She gets from point A to point B. Yeah. She'll bruise her leg or drop a plate or, you know, break 10 things to yep. get the job done, but the job gets done. Yep, yep. Whereas I'm the one going, watch out for that thing and let's plan six steps ahead. Yep. But then sometimes the job doesn't get done. Yep. You know, and I think like humanity is made up obviously like a huge scale yep. so, you know, of different types of people and all sitting somewhere on that spectrum. Um, but you're right. Like if we just go down the EQ path, there's just going to be a lot of hand-holding and a lot of crayons and a lot of yeah, you know, yeah. A, a lot of emotional awareness. But well, sometimes I mean, you need 
someone to you know kick things into gear too. That's right? it. You need that. You need that operational element as well. That's but right. It's. I mean, you know, we 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 touched on it, and I'll, I'll fix on it for a bit. But the you know, the whole sporting analogy of working in a team, you've got different positions that do different functions. Mm. You know, you got people that are naturally fast. Um, and agile and light on their feet. And then you've got people that are just, you know, could practically be dead weight, but they are, you know, working best in a defensive mode. Um, and you've got other people that provide other functions for a team. And together, collectively, you achieve the the outcome of whatever that goal is to win, you know, that that match, that game or whatever it might be. But you can't just rely on a team full of, you know, lightweights. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work, but you need that, you need the combination of different elements there. So, yeah, I think at the moment, EQ is really important and it's becoming a big focus and it's great for people like me who I have a bit of a gift of the gab and it certainly helps me and I've got enough, I think, well, developing as always, um, self-awareness that I can sort of sit back a little bit and watch things. But I'm not an overly analytical guy. I'm not overly technical. And when I come to those sort of scenarios, that's when I shut down. And that's where my limitations are. And that's when you need somebody who's just black and white, um, has no element of emotion whatsoever, <laughs> and they're just a numbers person. Then you just go, here's this pa- painting I've uh, put together, and um, here you go, like, turn it in- into something. And then you just you, you do it over there and just get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and also going back to, like, the identity thing we were talking about before, with the increase of like, you know, AI and a lot of sort of technical jobs becoming, you know, automation kicking in where, you know, potentially technology can do the job of 10 people. You're going to have a lot of people that are forced to become creative or actually focus on things that they want to do rather than what they have to do, which can be incredibly exciting. I think there's a lot of problems or things or solutions that need to be found to be able to accommodate that. But, you know, if you think about your stereotypical barbecue with family friends or whatever and, and people that you met for the first time and you're sort of gauging you're trying to create a conversation you're trying to think of things to talk about one of the first things that people do is you go oh what do you do for a living mm. you know and because we do that because i want to try and work out where you sit in the grand scheme of things in society are you somebody that's above me or below me or on the same path <laughs> and then based off that then i've created a narrative as to where i pigeonhole you and then I'll talk to you accordingly, hmm. or I'll make a decision not to continue talking see, to you. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, an unusual tact for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the optimist here, yeah, um, rather than the pessimist, which is what I would generally do. Uh, <laughs> I actually think it's more that it's the one thing that, by and large, you can guarantee you're gonna have in common is that you'll have an occupation. Yeah. yeah. So I think as a as a um, as a conversational tool, I think you can walk into any situation, any social situation, and by and large expect that someone ha- that you're talking to that you've never met before has a job. Mm. Um, I think that's probably why we walk into those situations and go, what do you do for a living? Mm. I think there's probably an element of that ass hattery um, that you, yep. you suggested earlier, which is that like people are going to just judge people and put them in a social standing because we are hierarchical creatures, yep. right? Like we, we, we understand that there are those above us and those those below us, um, and whether that's at a primal level or whether that's mm. in a social level, or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I personally think that when I walk into a conversation, um, uh, speaking for myself only, I, when I say to somebody, "So, what do you do for a living?" I'm genuinely interested to know what it is that they mm. spend their time doing. Mm. Um, and I think more importantly, for me, I find it most interesting to see whether or not their response shows a complete disconnect with their passion 
you know, or if it's something that they're doing that they're incredibly passionate about. And I want to talk to those people. Yeah. Cause like, I'm like, how did you do that? How did you line up the thing that you get to do to earn money yeah. with the thing that you think is, is useful, you know, in this world, mm. in your life? Yeah. Cause I'm like, I want to learn from that person as best I possibly can. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I mean, I've heard a few people talk about this and they use that sort of scenario of, you know, people asking what they do to try and work out their identity and get a bit of a picture. And people try to reframe it and use a different, uh, a different language and say, like, instead of what do you do, it's like, what are you into? And I love the idea and concept, but far out, that would feel so wanky to say, hey, nice to meet you. What are you into? And it's like, uh, what am I into? Well, I'm into, I don't know. And then it, it's it much may, easier. It may feel like you've actually walked into the wrong kind of party. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Where's like, the bowl of keys? That's right. Like, where yeah. are the keys? You know? So, uh, I think, yeah, you, you're right. Like that, it's a very loaded question if you open it up like that. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think also learning how some other cultures um, – size each other up as well. So, um, you know, while I won't try and paint an entire culture with, with, a, with the same brush, but um, I know just from friends of mine that have lived in China, one of the things that um, a lot of people do when they meet for the first time is they ask the question around money. They want to know how much money you make. And it's not an invasive or rude question to ask. It's just a socially accepted thing because what they're trying to do is understand who, who am I speaking to here? Yeah. And then they, unfortunately, but for them, it's not an issue. They will then make the decision as to how, how I converse after that. And I think we do it a little bit subconsciously with job titles and industries and things like that, but it's probably not as, um, as, as judgmental as, as some other cultures have, as far as working out where you sit in society and, and what little, uh, what little, um, I don't know, little alcove or pigeonhole you, you, you exist in. But I think, I think cultural ignorance though is at an all time high. Um, which is weird because we spend so much of our time as a species listening to social commentators talk about the need for, um, you know, multicultural values and diversity. Yeah. And yet, if you want to learn more about a subset of humanity and you ask questions about their culture, it could easily be misconstrued as um, coming from a negative place. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is really odd because I think uh, as it's, you know, we've, had this conversation before and it's probably obvious that conversation is important mm. you know like the, if you shut down conversation you're going to get nowhere yep no matter what the situation you know no matter what outcome you're looking for if there's no more dialogue there's nowhere to go yep yeah. um and it's so odd to me that we're now living in an era where particularly in, in in our western cultures where our attitude is i don't want to hear from you i just want you to agree with me yeah and it's yeah. like yeah well, no, I want to learn about you. Yeah. You know, I don't care what it is about you that makes you different or special or unique. I just want to know what it is. Yeah. And I want to be able to talk about it and learn about it. Yeah. Like why, when did that become misconstrued with bigotry or racism or sexism or ageism or some kind of discrimination to say, I'm actually really interested in what makes you different from me. Hmm. You know, there's this now, this, there is this, uh, Immediate implication that when you ask somebody a question about their identity, um, whatever that happens to be, that A, you shouldn't ask it because that's socially unacceptable and B, that by asking it, you're implying something. Hmm. It's like, no, I just yeah, want to know. What's your agenda? What's your agenda? Yeah, and yeah. I think the whole world is filled with people who are now just so afraid of 
either on the one hand being marked as a bigot and on the other hand, you know, afraid of becoming a victim. It's like, where'd the center go? Or you, and you've got other people that their natural instinct is to find a way to, I hate using this word, but I'm going to use it, get triggered. <laughs> so, see, <laughs> it's such a buzzword. See, there's a word we lost. I know. Right? <laughs> but it's, um, you know, people want to be, they want to be offended. They want, they, there's an adrenaline rush that comes out of jumping on the bandwagon and kicking someone well, while they're down it, as well. There's a bit it, of a, a tribal. It is. It's easy to be a victim. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know how we got to that place where, you know, this, like, okay, I don't know if this is me just really getting on a, on a bad path here, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> we, at the moment, a lot of our, our discourse, you know, when it comes to social cohesion is around um, things like feminism. Yeah. Right. I look at the war that's being waged in feminism right now between the second wave and the third wave. And I think that demonstrates exactly what we're talking about. You know, we have a generation of women that were tough as nails and that, you know, fought for their rights and were not at all prepared to take no for an answer, you know, and really who we have to thank for much of the mm. equality in our world, yep. right? And then we have a new wave coming through and their attitude is, no, no, protect me from everything, create laws and policies and I want the government to get in here because I'm afraid, I'm upset, I'm a victim. It's like, I don't, I don't, how did that happen? It takes it the other way because it, it gets to a point where you've gone, well, once again, this is this common theme that we've got today. It goes from one extreme to the other. Yeah. And it's funny. We, we, we're literally, we are literally having a conversation that's ping-ponging around every kind, of, every kind of conceivable topic, but yet it all centers around balance. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the human desire for there to be some kind of balance. And I've often made this, you know, fairly glib comment, but like, if you need any further evidence of why balance is important in a human life, you look at the two things that give us life, right? Air and water. Mm. If you have too much or not enough of those things, you'll die. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Right? And I think that in and of itself, as elemental as that sounds, mm. is exactly what we're talking yeah. about. So much more of our world would be better if people were prepared to accept that the middle ground, right, is important. Mm. You know, And I think this is why, I mean, my friends and... People would know. I've, I rant about the war again at the moment in the in the in the psychologies around co- uh, compassion versus empathy. Yeah, and I think compassion is like that. I think is going to be the thing that's going to be the rule book mm. for the next fifty years of social development. Like instead of drowning in vicarious experience, right? Why not just treat everybody with compassion? Mm. Why not say you may be different. You may you know we may be completely different but I'm going to just respect the fact that you are a person trying to figure out your way through life. Like that's what compassion allows you to do. Whereas empathy allows you to, to fall victim to bias and it full allows you to reinforce toxic, you know, yeah. ideas. Um, and simply because you think that you're helping the person whose pain you're feeling when in reality you're drowning in that rather than solving helping them solve their own problem, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's where it comes down to that perspective, you know, being able to put yourself in that other person's shoes and understand or get even just to try and grasp a bit of an understanding of why they feel the way that they do and whether that be an opinion or a belief or whatever it might be and as warped and as cave-like as as some some people's beliefs are, you have to sort of take a step back and go, but why? Like, why do they feel the way that they do? And sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, sometimes people, the way that they react violently or whatever it might be is 
them trying to protect something that they feel is important to them. Mm. And it could be a product of their environment. It could be the fact that they just never associate with anybody outside of this collective group of people that share the same same core beliefs or the same, they've lived in the same. It's like people, I spoke to someone yesterday and we're joking about living in regional parts of the country. And we both grew up in central Queensland and we we're just hanging shit on people that never, never moved out of these little towns. And I see it down the South coast as well. And you just, you know, you, you can't blame them for having these warped old school backwards um, views or beliefs, because if they've grown up in that environment, their friends are the same people that they went to school with and they stayed friends with. They've all got the same jobs together. Maybe that's a family run business or something like that. They never travel. If they travel, there's something exotic. Maybe, just maybe it might be barley. <laughs> that's pretty exotic. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And then that's it. And, and, but then when these big social questions and these topics come up and now that we're becoming more connected and a lot more of this stuff is in everybody's face, mm. then People don't know how to handle it. But it's so are, foreign to them. See, I, I, I believe that that's because their exposure to new ideas is limited. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then it becomes an overexposure. It does. In, 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 the, in the flick of a button. Because that's they it. go from, you know, you, you take the example you gave, you know, of someone that grows up in a small community and has limited exposure to new ideas or new ways of thinking mm. or new types of people or whatever. Mm. And then they sign up for Facebook. You know, mm. and and all of a sudden, just all of these ideas, some of which are going to be diametrically opposed to the ones that they have come to hold very dear to them over the course of their life, just get switched on. Mm. So then, you know, Mark from Toowoomba is listening to Pauline Hanson give a lecture about Islam, probably the least qualified person to have that conversation, yeah. right? You know, and I mean, and it can be someone on the complete other end. You know, then you've got. Sue listening to Antifa about how to fight fascism yeah. using fascist tactics. It's like, okay, this is why compassion and compromise are important. Absolutely. Because it's not about the fringes. No. It's about everybody else that sits in the middle and kind of goes, you know what? I'm happy to compromise. Mm. I'm happy to learn about people that are different. I'm happy to um, have people have a conversation with me about what makes me different. Yep. You know, when did we all become so fragile in a world that is so not fragile, yeah, and so dangerous. Well, everyone's everyone's trying to protect their their home ground. You know, yeah, and, I think we've and- lost. I think we've lost sight of. On, I honestly think we've lost sight of natural selection, right, yeah. and, and its function, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like if we just let people walk out in the middle of the street and get hit by a car because they want to. All yeah, right, that's right. They didn't want to live. Well, oh, yeah, that's it. And I, I get, and I get the argument that you know we, we need to protect people, you know, from themselves. Sometimes, like I get that, but but once again, balance, balance, balance. Like, yeah, yeah how, is that, just, how is that such a hard concept yeah, yeah. that you can be compassionate, right, and you can care about making the world a better place, but you can do it and not have it be at the expense of other people, hmm. you know? And I, and that's where I honestly think, I mean, this is why I'm a subscriber to, to horseshoe theory. Hmm. You know, I think the further towards the fringes you get, the more they become the same. Yep. And you, we see it every day, whether it be socio-political, whether it be religious, whether it be, well, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. The, the further towards the fringes, the further away from being moderate and decent and respectable, uh, sorry, respectful, you know, and centrist, the more you just become a raving lunatic and you, the more likely you are to employ the same tactics as your enemy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and have an enemy. Yeah. You know, if you're in the center, 
you're not really anybody's enemy. Well, I think we, we were talking about, um, before we started recording, about flying under the radar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It, but it's, I just think, I mean, the thing that sort of got me through a lot of those moments where I'm sort of battling my own monkey mind and I'm like, no, fuck you. Like, no, that's not what I, that's not what I think. That's the complete opposite. You're a fucking idiot. And then I sort of stop myself before I start smashing my keyboard and I realise that, well, hang on, their narrative, their story, their origins are completely different to mine and- so yeah. do, you, do you see that as compassion or do you see that as empathy? Well, I or see, do you see it, it as a blending of the two. Well, maybe it's a blending of the two because I, I see it as compassion because I feel for them and I have a level of respect for why they feel the way that they do. And maybe I'm getting the definitions a bit wrong. Well, I, I think, like, I'm a big fan of Professor Paul Bloom. Yeah. And he's just written this book uh, not long ago called Against Empathy, yeah. which is why this stuff's fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, he, he makes a case, basically, for rational compassion, mm. right? And the idea that empathy is biased. Empathy as a moral tool is not useful. Mm. And yet we've set, set the last few generations down a path where from their schools to counselors to the office of the president yeah you know or the prime minister if at every level we've we've taught the last few generations that empathy should be your single greatest moral tool mm. and he makes the argument as a, as a clinical psychologist that no compassion is a far more useful moral tool because it allows you to see beyond the immediate emotional response it, it allows you to see because like, and he uses the example of that you know, empathy is in, in, is exceptionally biased. Mm. You know, you if, and, and an example of that, you care more about your own child than you do about somebody else's. Yeah. But you care more about the child of a friend than you do about ten kids you don't know. Mm. And then it, it see, empathy doesn't work on scale, mm. right? That like you will care about a crying child who washes up on a beach who's seeking refuge from a war torn country, right? But then if you apply that on scale to ten thousand kids every day who die in Africa it becomes irrelevant, mm. right? Whereas if you're compassionate, those 10,000 kids are just as important to you as the one. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I think that's why I, I, that book resonates with me because like, mm. I try to be as rational as I possibly can be, yeah. but I try to be as decent as I possibly can be. And I think compassion for me as a moral tool makes more sense. Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe for me, it's it's getting a bit of understanding of the definition of compassion. But I, I look, for me, like I have... I have very sort of knee-jerk reactions to certain topics and that comes from a product of my environment. So, I'm very quick to sort of shoot particular theories down or particular beliefs and things like that. Um, but one thing that I think of maybe with just a level of maturity and a bit of life experience, I think at least if I'm using the right definition, I completely won't agree with somebody, but I'll at least understand that that person is just as important as I am and that they need the same things that I need. But at the moment, they're feeling compromised because of certain situations that are foreign to them and foreign maybe, you know, could be a good pun as well in some topics. But, you know, it is threatening them and no, no one should feel threatened in a way. So I have compassion on a base level that we are the same people. Um, even though our our paths are different and we come from different backgrounds, but we want the same basic elements. We want the you know we want a, a level of security, you know, food, water, blah blah mm. blah, survival. Um, I think anxiety and under and I think having an understanding of what anxiety is, I think would actually be very very useful. Mm. Um, one of the things I've learned over the course of my life is to try and understand anxiety, and 
what I learned about it essentially is that it is your brain being tripped. Mm. You know, your amygdala being tripped because it perceives a threat, mm. right? And you, and then your brain responding because the hippocampus recalls instances that are similar where you've been frightened, mm. and then your body and brain just kick into fight or flight. Yep. Right. I think if we were all striving for more of that self-awareness and then more of that understanding of how our brains actually function, we could we could temper that. Because instead of responding out of that, you know, perceived sense of threat, we could like dial that down and take control of our response and then respond. <laughs> well, well, I mean, to put it on a really mundane example, I was talking to, to somebody else just recently and um, we we're talking about situations where, you know, you could just be having a really shit day. Yeah, well, like, that's very you know, true, yeah. Short fuse, low tolerance, um, you're snappy, you don't even half realise it, but you just, you're on edge and you've just, your heart's racing a little bit and just, you can't even pinpoint it. You just don't even know what it is. And and the fact that you can't even pinpoint it is even more infuriate, infuriating and you get more and more agitated and someone's going, what the fuck's your problem? And you're like, none of your business, shut up. And then you realise that actually I missed a meal today or I don't, I didn't get enough sugar or I'm dehydrated. You know, something that's so petty and trivial, mm. but it's we've create we create these stories in our head of that there's this big, horrible, overwhelming problem that causes a sense of being overwhelmed or uh, you know having a level of anxiety, and you know that's not always going to be what the the end solution is or the 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 source of the problem, but that's an example of something that the reality to it is actually minuscule mm. um, to be able to resolve a problem like that. So when people create these big, overwhelming um, situations where it's critical and there's it's anxiety filled, when really it's something that a, a quick conversation with somebody. That's the key, though, right? conversation yeah and that's that's my whole point mm. right is that and that's always been my point uh whether it be what i was doing with the band what i was doing with the radio show or just existing as a person on this planet mm. i will always 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 be an advocate for conversation because i think the the moment that you say there's nothing more to say yeah is the moment that you've decided that you're going to give up yeah and and that applies to everything mm. and that's what worries me about where we are socio-politically right now is that we've drawn battle lines, right? And we've said, there are things you just can't talk about anymore. Mm. And to, to me, that is the single most destructive thing to the cohesion of any society, right? Any collective of people. If you say, these are the things you cannot talk about, then you've already conceded. Like you've already lost yeah. the war for a sensible and decent society. That's the great thing about podcasts, you know, yeah, just to absolutely. sort of bring it full circle because, you know, I mean, for me, there's a whole range of motivators as to why I decided to tap into it and start it and give it a shot. But not that I use it recklessly, but I, I approach a lot of conversations coming from a fucking, like, a dumbass. Like, I've got no idea. Like, and I sit down with people and I'm completely overwhelmed by their presence. You know, people that have had amazing backgrounds, a level of intelligence that I feel that I would never get to that to that level. And I sit there in awe and I attempt and I always try to, and it's more to cover my own self and give myself a bit of peace of mind, but I always premise it before we start recording and say, I'm going to ask you more than likely a bunch of really ignorant and dumb questions, but I'm fascinated. But your role as a host is to do that. Well, you want to, you're playing the role of any one of, you know, a variety of different listeners. Yeah. In assuming that they know something 
nothing or a mix of in between. You well, know? I just I I envision me listening to another podcast and being too scared to ask a question yeah. and going I I don't want to I don't want to ask someone that because I think that maybe I should know that already. But did any did, did I'm sure you would have heard this. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Well, like yeah, that, that's that a, is, it's a, it's that is a, one of those sentimental statements. It's been, that you heard it's been said as a for kid. years, but but whenever, like, especially when I was a kid, I heard that one kid in the class that kept asking questions. I was like, fucking shut up! <laughs> you know, you're fucking irritating. <laughs> of course, no, that's a dumb question. <laughs> and and you hold on to that. And I think this podcast thing has been, you know, I mean, I should be able to naturally build up these qualities without it, but it's been a tool that's been able to help me break through a lot of those fears and those those feelings of anxiety and these false um, narratives that you create around whether you're good enough or whether you've got um, the right to be able to ask a question, whether you've got the right to question something about things such as equality, gender, race, religion, all those kind of things that become these sensitive topics. Mm. And, and I can sit there now and at least give myself the green light to say, you're okay. The thing is, someone's going to judge you no matter what. Well, that's right? it. And, and that, that, the, the, the reason I agree with you, yeah. the reason why why these platforms are so useful is mm. because someone is going to love it, somebody's going to hate it, and somebody's going to be indifferent about it, right? But if you do it in a way that encourages conversation and encourages just respectful dialogue, then you can probably at least yourself go to sleep at night and say... Hey, I tried. Well, that's it. And if any if anybody takes it the wrong way or they you know well, they negatively are. impacts they, them, they will. That, you know, that's, and the, that's, that's the reality. <laughs> but that's that's something that they have to manage themselves. That's right. And at least if you can safely sort of approach it the right way. The offense is offense is always taken and never given. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. If you walk into a conversation just with a I mean, I've done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and I imagine I will continue to do so, right? I'm very interested in what motivates human behavior, mm. which means I'm interested in, you know, social issues. I'm interested in religion. I'm interested in atheism. I'm interested in psychology. And I don't, I'm not an expert in any of these things, mm. but I love asking questions about them. And I love, you know, putting, formulating my own kind of ideas, yeah. you know, and I think you don't have to be a scientist to have a scientific mind. Right, you don't have to be a scientist to appreciate the scientific method. You know, you hypothesize, you test, you review. You know, and again, that's not even the scientific method. You know, verbatim. But yeah, if if more people, I think, just were prepared to say, that's okay. You might say something that I don't agree with, or that I may find quote unquote offensive, but I'm going to let you say it anyway. Hmm. Then the world would be far more functional than it is now. Yeah, because now we're just walking into an era where everything that deviates from a you know a science set of ideas has become not only evil but it's bordering on illegal yeah you know the and and that is so dangerously orwellian that people are sleepwalking towards their own fascist dictatorial state mm. you know and they don't even realize it yeah and it's like that is why these comedians and these you know, social commentators are also worried and are all getting up there and saying, um, guys, this is really important. Mm. You know why? Because you're going to wake up and you're not even going to know what's happened. And all of a sudden saying the wrong thing is going to land you in prison. Yeah, that's it. You know, and whether it be... And which we've always associated with stereotypically certain areas of the world. We, we, we associate the idea... Things in the past. We associate the idea that your speech can land you in jail or behind the end of a gun 
with with tyrannical dictatorial regimes. Yeah. And the idea that that is close to happening or close to becoming a reality in Western cultures is more terrifying than I think people are prepared to admit. Mm. You know, the idea that you are doing something good by punishing people for simply engaging in dialogue that may be at odds with your views on life, mm. that's very bad. Yeah. And that's why I think podcasts are important. That's why I think musicians are important. That's why I think, you know, academics are important, you know, and you can be one of those things. You can be none of those things. You can still see the value. That's it. You know, and the more and more of us, I mean, there's a great, there's a great um, uh, show host called Dave Rubin. I'm sure you're yep. probably familiar with mm. his stuff. Dave is not, in my view, he's not the most articulate guy. He just asks really straightforward questions. But more importantly, he's just a facilitator of dialogue. Yep. He just gets really interesting people in like, in a room and has a conversation. Hmm. And the the value of that cannot be understated. Nor, I mean, and, and the thing is, the, the glimmer of hope that I have is you're seeing more and more and more of that. More and more of these centrist you know, facilitators... And more and more of these just decent people saying, no, no, you know what? It's a challenging idea, but let's get together and have a chat about it anyway, yep. you know? And, and the more of that we see and the more popular that becomes, the more steam that that, you know, um, that, that, that the more, more momentum that that gains, the better the world's going to be. Absolutely. You know, I've never, ever, ever understood the idea that learning more about something makes you less of a person. It's a bit of an odd concept, isn't it? But it is. Yeah. But, that's, but, that's, but that's that's what we're saying when yeah. we're saying, don't talk about this thing. That's it. You know? Don't question it. Don't question it. Don't yeah. talk about it. Mm. It's like, hang on, but if I understand it, won't I be less of a bigot? Won't no. I be less of an ignoramus? Won't I be- You've got no right to, to question that or talk about yeah, that topic, see, blah, 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 that, which that, is another thing I'll get. That shits me <laughs> more. Than, I, I ranted about this. Sorry, I, I, I hit a, I hit a low hit one a, there. You did hit a nerve. <laughs> I, mean, I, I ranted about this the other day. It is- I have a really stupid tongue-in-cheek phrase that I say all the time, which is, I don't need to be shot in the face to know I won't like it, Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have experienced bad things mm. to say, I want to do something to change it, mm. right? And f- the funny thing is, is that there are commentators out there now who are saying, you have no right to talk about this thing because you've never lived it. But yet so much of our positive social change specifically in the West and beyond, mm. but specifically I'm referring to the West, yeah. has come off the back of people who never experienced shit things standing up and saying, that's a shit thing and let's stop it. Yeah, that's it. Like, you don't have to have lived through shitty things to stand up and say, it's a bad thing and we want to fight against it. Like, that, that is literally how most of our equal rights came about is through people who never actually experienced it saying, this is not good enough. Mm. We, get, we need to treat people better. So, this idea, you know, whether it be an argument about cultural appropriation or an argument about, well, you're a man and so you've never experienced it, or you're a woman, so you've never experienced it, yeah. or, you know, you're cis and therefore you can't have an opinion. It's like, no, no, if I, want to pe- if I want people to be treated with decency and just common courtesy and compassion, I don't have to have received the shit things that you've received to know that that's a good idea. Just, it just, it's not... It's not an essential. It's not a necessity to having a conversation that you have experienced or lived through bad things. It gives you a unique perspective, right? It does, and that shouldn't be dismissed. And again, if you want to have a balanced conversation, you should invite 
all walks of life mm. into the conversation. The danger is we're walking down a path now where we're saying we only want the people in the conversation that have experienced the shit things and the people that could actually be your ally, you don't want them involved in the conversation. That's it. Exclude them. You want to exclude mm. them. Mm. It's like, well, no, we, we're trying to we're trying to get everybody together and get everybody on the same page about what are some universal you know, truths, some natural justices. And the know? people that get excluded, it gets to a point where, you know, they're the people who actually give a shit yeah. and want to contribute. And if they're not allowed to participate in any form, then that's when the care starts to dissipate. Well, and, that, and, and the pendulum will ultimately swing. Yeah. Right. You know, the, today's minority, you know, will become tomorrow's majority. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one constant in human life is change. Yeah. And the reality is, is that whether it's five minutes from now or 50 years from now, you could be, you know, on the dominant position of a hierarchy and then wake up the next day and be at the bottom, right? Which is why, as I say, compassion matters, right? Just being a decent person matters, but dialogue also matters, right? Because it's the one way that you can influence other people to be better Mm. and you can also have other people influence you to be better. Find some balance. Pretty much. Start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think um, that was pretty an intense way to wrap it up. Yeah, but sorry, I was just that, trying that's to- going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you, I, yeah. I got you all rolled up. You got all me all hot, rolled all up. You, you, you rubbed my belly and fed me some <laughs> uh, some brisket. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's look, I think um, just to, to bring it back to what we, what we started talking about with, you know, you creating a podcast with CJ and- having this music thing and then as it progressed and it became a bigger thing, bringing in other elements to to challenge or just to get people to listen to something a little bit different than your stock standard music show or yeah, something that was music the idea. related. Yeah. 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 And um and I think just the freedom of being able to have a format where you can encourage speech and, and encourage conversation. And, you know, obviously there'll be nuances to that depending on what you're doing and and who that might fall under and who's helping you to to put that project together. But I mean, ultimately the the medium's incredibly powerful and it's growing. Um, And hopefully more people use it for the right reasons, just to have conversation. And um, the cool thing is you don't have to, you don't have to listen to anything you don't want to listen to. Absolutely. I think that that is one of the reasons why podcasts specifically as a, as a platform are so powerful is it kind of reinforces and actually and reminds people that you don't have to listen to things you don't want to listen mm. to. Like the choice is yours. That's the whole point yep. of ideals like free speech and free thinking and critical thinking. You get to choose mm. what you absorb and what you don't. And yep. podcasting is such a great idea because you can then just put whatever your ideas are out there and like-minded people can listen or people that want to challenge themselves to think outside their own echo chamber will also equally have the opportunity to listen. But the way that the medium is designed, it by default says to you, absorb it when you want, how you want, at your own leisure, at your own pace. And I think that's why it's powerful. I think that's why it's more so than a lot of other mediums. You can still function in the world. You can still ride your bike. You can still do things whilst you're absorbing you know this audio it takes the pressure off you're not sitting yeah. there being forced to take in information that's right whereas youtube's bombarding to- all of your all of your um your senses that's and again it. that has a that has a function but i think the reason why the podcast is silently rising as an important 
method of conversation and you know the dissemination of information is because it can be absorbed in amongst a busy day. Mm. Um, it's not requiring multiple senses, you know, for you to absorb that information. And the thing is, you know, every, there are different learning styles, right? You know, if you're a kinesthetic learner, then you may not appreciate a podcast, but most people tend to respond to a conversation. And so the podcast, as opposed to say a lecture, where mm. it, you are, you're hearing you know, that in th- those inflections and tones and shifts and timbres that you're used to hearing in a conversation, it, you, you just naturally your ear is going to retain you're gonna, more. That's right. It's going to resonate yeah. with you more than a three-hour dry, re, you know, um, recited lecture. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I think even just f- to be able to put something out there where you're exposing people to other ways of thinking as well. Yeah. So even the people that listen to this podcast, ultimately a lot of them – well, initially, we're coming from my circles as far as like-minded music, music fans, fans. Yeah, yeah. and enthusiasts. And then gradually, I decide, well, let's get this random person on. Yeah. And so, suddenly, people are still listening in. And then they make a decision on that episode as they're listening as to, well, this guest's a bit of a fuckwit. I'll just skip forward or go to the next episode. Yeah. Or, oh, fuck it. I'll just listen to it and, and, and get, get an insight. One of the things I, I like is that people are challenging themselves to listen to things and read things that they don't necessarily agree with. Mm. And I, I I used to be very pessimistic that that was just not happening. Mm. But I, having, through my own experience of having run a show for a short amount of time, um, it was like, we, I mean, we did what, 34 episodes. Yep. And over the course of that, we interviewed a very interesting mix of people. Mm. Um, and again, they were predominantly around you know, from the music community um, or had a connection to the music yep. community, but the ideas that we inve- that we explored w- were far beyond that. Mm. And so, you know, I got an opportunity to meet and talk with, um, and I'm talking not just about the guests, but a lot of the listeners were people that had a really interesting, rich mix of ideas. And, you know, we, had, we would have people, hey, why don't you have a conversation about this? You know, hey, I really liked this thing, or I didn't think about it from this point of view, or mm. you know, I disagree, or whatever. And it's like, but the one thing that, in fact, I have to say, there was not one person I saw, I, there was not one person who gave us feedback on the show that was a straight up asshole. Mm. It was just like, fuck you, I don't agree with you. And I was like, that's, that's unexpected. You know, you, you think in a world today that you're going to get someone that's going to go, oh, I disagree and this is why and you're an asshole and because of this. Um, and I can only hope it's because we approach the show from a position of we're not perfect, you know, but we want to just have the conversation, you know, and the more and, and as long as that is there, you know, the, the desire to just talk to people and have people talk to one another, then you can't ever go wrong. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so. And I think you probably attract people that are already in a, in a frame of mind where they are willing to absorb information yeah. and, and learn and they're open-minded. And the people that aren't, if you even manage to get them to listen to begin with, most of them won't stick around long enough to be able to take in any information for them to even formulate the, the or put together the effort to go and articulate that somewhere else and give a response. Most of the time, that's the, that's the wonders with the podcast is that you just go delete, skip, yeah. move on and that's it. And, you know, and most of the time people get a sense of where where a conversation is going to go or the topic and most people don't have the time to go. And, and, and that's also the good thing about podcasts is that there's no, yes, there's reviews, but it's really hard to leave a, a direct comment on, on a podcast <laughs> as you yeah. listen to it. You have yeah. to log into Facebook, you have to open up the Facebook app or Twitter and then type it out. And by the time you get there, you've lost, you, you're exhausted. Yeah. 
So, you know, until Apple Podcasts or any of these big podcast players have like a live feed or, you know, a comment section. Which will happen. Which will happen. <laughs> that will be very scary because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to encourage some, some not nice behaviours. But, um, but, you know optimistic side of things it could be it could be exciting as well but um I, until then i think um podcasts have got a unique um a unique format and a new a unique platform that um yeah, that encourages stand, they kind of stand alone that's in, it. in the universe of, of media that's they it. have their own it's, little space it's a little bit untouchable out. at the moment yeah. but in a good way yeah that's yeah. right anyway all right enough of, enough of all that um well <laughs> i look forward to whenever you get back on you know, whatever you decide to do and get back into music if you decide yeah. that that's going to be what your, what your next things are down the track. But, yeah, um, as I said, man, honestly, I, 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 don't, I don't foresee a future where I, I will be away from music forever. Yeah. Um, I just, I love it too much. Mm. I, I find that it's just too important. Um, I have since I was a 15-year-old kid and did the same thing that you said earlier, which mm. is you just get consumed by it and every career goal or educational goal you had goes out the window because yep. you just want to play music. Yeah. Um, and that's very much me, you know, despite juggling, having always having a day job. Um, but, yeah, I just don't I don't foresee a future where I could ha- I could stay away from it forever. Mm. Um, but, it, and, and it may look, it may be, it may be, in a year or two, maybe five years. I don't know. It, 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 as I said, for me, it was important to just not put any parameters around um, what this looked like. Yeah. You know, it was just focus on the immediate requirements, which is, you know, I'm going to have two children under the age of three, uh, a wife who needs my help. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and a body and brain that does very much in need of you know some tender love and care. And if I um if I get that right and, you know, our family gets into a rhythm and that means that, you know, a year or two from now I can start up a new musical project or get involved in a musical project, then rad, you know. But um, for me with Demon Pyre, and I, I say this specifically with Demon Pyre because this, this was something that I, I look back on very positively about Demon Pyre was that we, uh, we, when we set out with that band, we'd all been in bands previously mm. and some were still in other bands and, and, we said, this is going to be a thing where the definition of success is not going to be whether or not it's our full-time job. Yep. We just want to do the best we can, you know, make a record every couple of years. If we can get overseas like once a year, awesome, mm. you know, spend some time touring, but just write really the best music we can, yep. you know, so that we enjoy it, that fans enjoy it, and that's it. Mm. Um, and that was a lesson that it took me a long time to learn. Um, you know, previous bands I've been in, I was so focused on the goal, mm. um, you know, and trying to like drive the, the, the success engine that I lost the fun of it yep. a lot of the time. And whereas Demon Pie wasn't like that. Demon Pie was, um, we're going to try and go as far as we can with it, but, you know, we're, we're not going to set limits that are, so, that are so high that they're just unachievable. Um, and that's why, as you know, it was a hard thing to walk away from because so much of it was so pleasant and so much of it was so enjoyable. Um, Probably a really good thing as well. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to sort of get out of something just because you completely burnt out Mm. from it as well. Well, There was that. You leave on a high note. Well, yeah, in in some elements, but I mean, you've you've also left it on a high note as far as what that band is all about and what it has done in that, in what it is as a short space of time. Mm. And I think the fact that you're quite fortunate because 
you have, and this is a bit of an ego thing, but you put your name against things. You've contributed towards things that are out there and people can continue to enjoy in the future. And it, it doesn't even matter what happens now moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, Andy um, made me realize that mm. to a point. Yeah. Um, our league is Horace. Like he, uh, he's like me, he's fiercely opinionated and has lots of real strong views on things. And, um, you know, we both very strong personalities. Yeah. Um, but he was the one who made me realize that, like, you know, you, you contribute something into the world of music and it is literally a moment in time. You know, it's there. It's and a it's, footprint. It's a footprint, right? Mm. It's there for good. And whether you come back to it um, and, you, and you want to continue the journey later or whether you don't, like, it's there. It's you done, know? yeah. Um, and you can be proud of it for what it That's is. It. You can go, and as you say, like, you can go back to it later, mm. just like a record yeah. um, of, of a band that you were into and you mm. can go back and go, oh, I'm pretty proud of that, you know? But then again, I've never been one of those musicians that was afraid to listen to their own tunes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been in bands with people before who found that to be highly egotistical, that they wouldn't put on their own records, mm. you know, um, outside of like having to learn a song or mm. review a record before it was released. They wouldn't, wouldn't listen to their music because they saw it as being egotistical. And I'm like, but if you can't enjoy it, like that's the, like the creative side of me is like, no, no, I, but I dig it. And again, maybe it's because I was a vocalist. You know, so there's a, there's a, there's an element of compositional separation there. Yeah. You know, I was involved in, you know, predominantly the lyrics, you know, I wrote the lyrics, mm. I wrote the vocal mm. arrangements, you know, performed the vocal arrangements, but the, the melodic side, you know, with a few exceptions and a mm. few arrangement suggestions, that wasn't my, my yeah. area. Yeah. So I guess I can, um, simply by, by virtue of the fact that I'm the one at the end who adds my bit, mm. I can listen to the thing being created by my, the team yeah. and be like, that's awesome, yeah. you know, um, which I guess is different, you know, to the other parts of a band. Well, I certainly get like people that are heavily involved in the production and, and recording process and, and putting all the elements together um, when an album's finally done and it's put out there that they go, oh, fuck this. I don't do not want to listen to this ever again. <laughs> See, that's a different story. <laughs> which, which, which is different again. But, you know, I think in the end you create something that means something to you. Mm. And I think that everyone, even if you can't do it straight away because, you know, the process or whatever it is has exhausted you mentally, I think it should be every right to be able to come back later and enjoy it because that's part of who you are and it's a it's a time capsule it's a footprint that you left behind it's it's who you were and what you represent at that point in time so it's pretty cool definitely <laughs> so uh we've covered every possible base that we could possibly think which, of which would let's be honest that was bound to happen <laughs> yeah it was gonna happen I, I i sort of i wrote some notes down yesterday and i thought oh fuck this is just gonna go off on a few different tangents let's yeah. just let's just roll with it that's good <laughs> well i enjoyed it so thank you for having me much appreciated thank you very much cool Thanks, everyone. If you want to learn more about Sam and some of the projects that he's been involved with over the years um, and anything we spoke about in this epic long chat with Sam, which was so much fun, you can go over to the show notes at andysocial.net. As with all the episodes that have aired on the Andy Social podcast to date, uh, everything is over there. And I don't know what episode this is, 126 maybe? So there's 126 individual podcast episode pages on my website that are filled with a whole blurb about my guest, all the links to contact them and learn about them. There's embedded videos, there's links to buy um, products and things from these people. There is so much content there. So please go over, have a sticky beak and check out not only the show notes from this episode, but all the episodes that um, I've put out to date. So lots and lots of stuff over there at andysocial.net. So uh, before we wrap up this episode, if you want to support this podcast, 
in addition to listening to me crap on into your ear right now, you can do a whole range of different things. One of the big things for me that goes a hell of a long way is leaving a review for this podcast anywhere on the internet. It can be the obvious places like Facebook or Apple Podcasts, or it could be, I don't know, like um, just, I don't know, a random blog somewhere or some whack job uh, conspiracy theorist website or some sort of weird religious propaganda website, or you could like troll uh, an Amazon product review for some kid's toy and just, I don't know, throw a comment about the antisocial podcast in there. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter because it's all attention. It brings people this way. Any attention is good attention in my opinion. So all that stuff helps. And if you want to be in the running for the custom free custom artwork from Jaden Fari, you can, um, well, first of all, you should go to designbyjaden.com and check out what his artwork's all about. And if you are interested in getting some free custom artwork from Jaden, you just need to send me a screenshot of one of those reviews that you leave somewhere on, in the depths of the internet and uh, you'll go into the running to win that free custom artwork, which I will draw on Sunday, the 6th of May. Now, in addition to all that stuff, you can, uh, what can you do? You can you can like, you can retweet, you can love heart, you can tag mates in all the social media posts, share the episodes around. Um, you can buy a t-shirt from andysocial.net. You can shout me a beer via andysocial.net. You can do all these different things. They go a hell of a long way to support this podcast. It keeps it going, keeps me motivated. It helps me reinvest into extra things, bigger and better things, helps me get better guests as well. Lots of things. It all helps. So thank you very much for all the support you guys give each and every day, each and every week, each and every month, you know, blah, blah, blah. You get the gist. I'm just running out of things to say. So that's my cue to get the hell out of here. <laughs> Thank you so much for the support, guys. Um, I might see you at the Australian Podcast Awards this Saturday if you're listening to it in time. Australian Podcast AustralianPodcastAwards.com to buy tickets. Quick, Eddie, wrap it up. Okay, until next week, guys, take care. Love you heaps. See you later. Bye-bye. You're ready. You're ready for show.